Hi friends and welcome to the T21 Mum Podcast. My name is Mary and I'll be your host. And this is episode 76 and we are actually on location at Starbucks. And of course, my good friend and co-host Ron is also here with me today enjoying coffee. Hey Mary, first time actually doing a joint recording. I know. Since lockdown started. Yeah. This is very exciting. It is very exciting. And this particular Starbucks that we're at, <laughs> what is the significance of this place? Well, it's actually where the T21 Mom podcast started. That's right. It was it was essentially born here because after we came up with the after the idea was come up with this is where we came to hash out the format and to hash out what we were going to talk about, how we were going to talk about it, what kind of web services did we need, all of that kind of stuff. And so it's really exciting to be back here. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of cool. So um, today's guest, Amanda, mm -hmm. has a really interesting story. Yes, it's actually another adoption story and how she came to adopt her son you know I thought it was really interesting how it all came about and you know obviously a little bit of sadness too for the birth mom and and how she felt but I love that it's an open adoption and that they're still connected with the birth mom and she shares their journey on adopting their little their little guy okay so let's go talk to Amanda all right Today on the T21 Mum podcast, I'm talking with another rocking mum, Amanda Bruning. Did I say that correctly? Awesome. Yep. <laughs> and her journey to the lucky few. Welcome, Amanda. Hi. So first, can you tell us a little bit about you and your little family? Um, so my husband and I met and we have our little kiddo, Caleb. He was adopted when he, well, he came home to us when he was seven months old and it was a little bit of a process, but we adopted him when he was about two and a half and um, we have our dogs, our crazy dogs life. And um, we've just been, my husband and I moved out to Colorado from California about eight years ago now. And, you know, just looking for that slower pace of life and out more outdoor times, things to do. So. Wonderful. Yeah, I enjoy the outdoors here in Vancouver. It rains a lot here, but you know, I think we're kind of used to it. <laughs> so now you mentioned that you adopted uh sweet Caleb. And yeah. but when you you had mentioned to me previously that as soon as you and your husband got engaged, you talked about adopting. And I found this so interesting is you don't usually hear this often. Usually people are just thinking they're gonna start a family, but you don't usually hear about like their plan is to necessarily adopt. Was there a special reason for this or just something you kind of both felt in your hearts? Um, I can't remember how we got on the topic of this while we, after we got engaged. Um, but, you know, growing up, I had always been interested in helping with foster care and my husband was an only child. And so he knew he definitely wanted to have more than one child. And, um, being very church involved at the time, you know, that gave us that calling of, you know, we wanted to build our family however we could, you know, either having, you know, biological kids, adopting, fostering. Um, we just had the heart for it. So. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. No, I was wondering if maybe you had a family member that was adopted or just, you just felt like a calling. So, and I think there's lots of people out there that 
have that, you know, where they want to have that, you know, be able to do that, to adopt, you know, not just have their own child, like biological children, but also to adopt, or like you said, foster, you know, I think that's wonderful. Now, you also mentioned that you had some fertility issues and I can totally relate to that. And, you know, that's also something I think most of us don't necessarily expect, you know, when we're trying to start our family and then all of a sudden you, you can't naturally. And, but did, so did that fuel your desire even more to adopt? Um, for us, it did, you know, we, while we still live in California, we did some infertility treatments and part of our move to Colorado and you know, slowing this, you know, slowing our lives down. And we, at that point had taken a break from infertility stuff and really took the time to thought about, you know, okay, moving forward, do we want to do IVF? Do we want to do adoption? And really looking where, how much everything was going to cost and mm. where in the long run, you know, we could be paying just as much for an adoption as we could for infertility and for IVF and that IVF not necessarily would guarantee us anything. Um, and knowing at that point, you know, there are a lot of kids in the world and a lot of kids in our country and states that you know, need adoption. So we decided to go down that adoption route instead of trying more infertility. Mm -hmm. And kudos to you because I, having gone that journey myself with infertility treatments, it's definitely not for the faint of heart. And I can understand why you wanted to take a break from it. Cause it's, it's so emotionally taxing, I think, and exhausting and it's hard and disappointing and, and, and all of that. And like you said, it's, a, it can be very expensive too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So adoption can take a while. Like how did it all start for you? Oh man. So <laughs> I think thinking back date wise, I think we started our process in 2015 and that was really researching what type of adoption we wanted to do. Did we want to do foster to adopt? Did we want to do international domestic and even looking at domestic, did we want to stay in state? Did we want to go out of state? There's so many different options. And so we really started there and interviewing different agencies to see which agency fit well with us. Um, and our, by between 2015 to January of 2016 is when our adoption went live or our profile went live with our agency. So it was a pretty good chunk of a year to get you know, finding which agency, going through all the paperwork, going through all the interviews that you have to do, um, and getting everything set up. So is I'm not really all that familiar with adoption in Canada. I know we have government adoption and I think there's some private, but I don't really know how that works. So was yours more of a private adoption as opposed to a, a government placement, I guess? I don't, I don't know if that's the correct term. No, nope, that's right. Um, so ours was a private adoption. It wasn't, um, it wasn't considered foster care. We worked with a Catholic, Catholic charities, which, you know, they had adoption agency at the time and most of their situations come in and are birth situations. And you're, you know, usually matched before birth and, you know, you're bringing home a child after they're born. Ours was a little different in that space, but, um, in Colorado, you're, technically fostering the child from the time you bring them home to the time you fi finalize and the agency has that parental role over the child. So it incorporates a little bit of foster care, but it's considered private adoption. 
Okay. So I know it can, well, I've heard different things like that, a, like a private adoption can be short or long. I know from uh, a previous guest, Kelsey, I'm not sure if you know Kelsey, but she ha she adopted a little boy and it was initially through fostering. And then she came back from the retreat and a week later ended up with another little boy with Down syndrome. And that was finalized with six within six weeks. And she said, because that was private, it happened so quickly. And I was shocked at how fast that that happened. So for you, like, I know you said like the process just to even get started, I guess, like you have to have like a home study, I'm thinking, right. Mm -hmm. And so, and then from there, how long did it take to kind of become, I mean, I guess you got to go through the process, like, do the families pick you or how does it work? So in our situation, it was, a, I feel like our whole situation went a little different than normal because in Colorado, um, relinquishment can be signed, I think 48 hours after birth. Mm -hmm. And then that relinquishment is finalized by a judge within seven business days. And that's it, that their rights are terminated at that point. Um, or it can go to court and the judge can require them to go to court to terminate their rights. Our situation, because it wasn't a birth situation, he was, we, we heard, so our profile went live in January. Mm -hmm. I heard from our caseworker in, I believe, June about him. So at this point, you know, he was born in February. So he's about four months old and it kind of went back and forth until September. And, oh, wow. and, and again, you know, he was with his birth family. They were trying to see, you know, their, with their situation, if this was what they could do. And, um, by September it was okay. We can't do this. And they wanted to place him for adoption. And that's when we were the only couple within our agencies that was open to special needs. Okay. And so back in June, when we got that first phone call, that was when we were told he had Down syndrome mm -hmm. and, you know, being a special ed teacher, my mind went straight into some of those roles of, mm -hmm. okay, you know, is he getting therapy already? Is he, and these were questions our agency, our caseworkers really didn't know because they really hadn't encountered this level degree of special needs. And so they kind of were looking to me to what questions to ask the birth mom and birth dad mm -hmm. about what was going on, what, you know, how he was medically and all that stuff. Um, so again, this went back and forth until September and then September we got the go it's going to happen and two weeks later we brought him home <laughs> oh wow yeah that so that is a bit of a process so yeah. take me back like what what was your day like like what was going on when you got that call to say from the agency saying they found a child for you so I was I had actually just started my master's program and I was sitting in class on campus because <laughs> um, my program was online and so you know, I, I had sat towards the back of the room and I don't remember why, cause I wasn't expecting to get a call that day. Um, and so I was able to quickly step out when I saw the number and, and see what was going on. And so the rest of the day was kind of a blur on what happened in class yeah. um, until I could get home and talk to my husband. Um, and it really didn't take us long to be like, okay, let's go for this, you know? And, and part of our thinking behind it was, you know, if we were pregnant ourselves, you know, this could be a possibility. And so what's for us to say, you know, if this is what God wanted in our lives. This child was who he wanted. It would have came to us somehow. Mm -hmm. So, and so did you find out at that time that 
Caleb had Down syndrome, like all on the same phone call? I did. I did find out in that phone call that he had Down syndrome. Um, our caseworker kind of tiptoed around it, not in a bad way, but just didn't know. I don't think she knew how to say it because they never had worked with a child with Down syndrome before. Um, and so in my mind of being a teacher, especially special ed, I just kind of jumped into, okay, we're, you know, how is his health? What are these things? And some of the things I knew and some of the things I didn't know that were typical Down syndrome that I've learned along the way. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so when you were going through the adoption process, I mean, most people hope for a baby, like, was that your wish or like, were you open to having an older child? Like, I guess a toddler or older, or like, what was your plan, I guess, or hope? So we were in an infant program. Um, but they kind of gave us like, it was like a three page cheat sheet that you fill out and Mm -hmm. it was, you know, what are you, what are your boundaries? What are you willing to be comfortable with? And, and part of that was age. And so I think we had said we were comfortable with up to three years old, Mm -hmm. um, even though, you know, we were wanting an infant, but, you know, again, following God's plan, God has a plan for us and what was going to come into our lives. And so, you know, we were open to any gender. We were open to different needs we were open to different drug exposures um and so yeah so yeah so that yeah that is pretty open i think and and then correct me if i'm wrong like they kind of have often like a list of like i guess the different special needs and you check off which ones you'd be comfortable with is that right it is right they do go through specific um needs and now i don't remember if down syndrome was one of the specific ones um, they did have autism on there. They did have like fetal alcohol syndrome, um, developmental delays, you know, pre premature births. So they mm-hmm. kind of break some things down to see where your comfortability is. And so, and then there was a generalized, you know, special needs is, and I think that's where down syndrome fell into. Of course. Yeah. So you get the call in June and he was born mm-hmm. in February. Is that correct? Correct. He was born in February. So what had kind of transpired in those first few months? Like were the, was the birth family, were they trying to decide whether they'd be able to manage his care or like, obviously he was spending some time with the family. Is that right? His birth Mm -hmm. family? He was, he was with his birth family that whole time. Um, And I think some of it came down to between trying to feel, you know, can they manage his care, but also coming to terms with the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. and there was a lot of counseling that I knew about that was around with birth mom coming to terms with his diagnosis and it not being her fault because Mm -hmm. she felt very guilty that he was born with Down syndrome. Wow. Wow. I, I've heard that periodically, Mm -hmm. but, uh, so she was obviously having a really difficult time I guess, accepting that he had Down syndrome. He, she did. And, and I think still to this day, she, when we do see her, it's still a very hard fact for her. Um, and that's also led that there's some diagnoses that he's received along the way that we don't mention because he does have two older siblings and we want to make sure that she doesn't kind of go back into the mindset that she was when we brought him home, um, mm. you know, making a good home environment for her other kids and so there are just things that we don't say or talk about um and we talk about all the awesome things that he's been doing Mm -hmm. with her so because again she just I don't think she's ever really come to terms with it 
Wow. And he's four, four now. Is that right? No, he's six, six now. Six. Sorry. He's Bad six. at math. It's okay. Okay. Oh yeah. You said 2016. Okay. So, wow. And she's, that's a long time to kind of carry that burden. And I, mm-hmm. I do know of another mom who had a lot of grief, I guess, for lack of a better word for, I, I think over two years. I mean, she kept her child and, and she's fine now, but I, it was really hard to hear her talk about that, you know, about the grief of her child that she had and how she didn't want to celebrate her birthday because she said, why would I want to celebrate the worst day of my life? And that was really heartbreaking to me to hear that. But I'm glad to hear that she's doing well now and they have a second child and her, their daughter with Down syndrome is doing great. So, you know, which is good, but yeah, that's, that's challenging for Caleb's birth mom to still feel that and, and carry that, I think. So you get the, you get the phone call in June, but you don't really like, so what happened over the summer? Like, were they still trying to decide whether they wanted to, to put him up for adoption? Cause that must've been hard for you as well. It was, um, yeah, they were still trying to decide and, and it, it, it kind of went, we want to do this. We don't want to do this. We want to do this. And, you know, and there, you're, there's both parents involved in this end of it. And you, there's two older siblings that are involved mm. in this too. And so it's not just a mom and dad making a decision. You have your mom and dad and you have two older siblings that understand what's going on um and it was hard for us because you know we just didn't know and so there were t- you know when we heard it wasn't going to happen I just tried to put it out of my mind and you know it's good he's getting to stay with his parents and mm-hmm. and but it you know that back and forth was a little hard on us just okay it's going to happen okay no it's not okay it's going to happen okay it's not and um and just knowing that there was going to be a lot that we were going to have to get the ball rolling on if we did bring him home and so mm-hmm trying to be in that mindset of when it was going to happen of, okay, what do we need to start preparing now versus, you know, if it was just a typical baby that we were going to be bringing home. So you get the call in June and then things started rolling around September. So did you, when did you first get to meet him? We met him in September and we drove down to our agency one weekend and we met um, his birth mom came with him and that's when we met him at first. And then she actually left to go pick up the older siblings and left Caleb there with us and, and our caseworkers. Um, and so we got to spend a little bit of time with just Caleb that first day. Mm-hmm. And then we got to meet his siblings and his birth dad came over after he got off of work. So it was kind of an all day event. Mm-hmm. And then the next weekend we met one day and went over I don't want to say logistics of things, but we talked about, you know, the openness in our adoption and, and contact and all of that. And then the next day we brought him home. So it was oh pretty much like two weeks and, and just the weekends of things. And then he was home with us. Oh, wow. So mm-hmm. that's in September, but they still hadn't relinquished their rights. Is that correct? Correct. They had not relinquished rights yet. Um, and that's where things got a little more complicated in, you know, in, in Colorado, there's two ways to relinquish rights. There's the, I don't want to, and the best terms I could say is kind of like a fast pass. You could, they can mm-hmm. sign it. The judge can sign off it on it in seven days and it's done, or they can apply for, ter- you know, relinquishment and they go to court and then the judge signs off on it, which usually tends to take a little longer because you have to wait for a court date. 
Um, and the agency was amazing working with pro bono lawyers that she had, that was her own lawyer, nothing to do with us or the agency. And that's where things got a little bit more complicated, I feel like, but. And how, like, how did they get more complicated? So, you know, we bring him home and, you know, we're still waiting for rights to be relinquished. And I don't know if she ever really wavered in wanting to bring him home because, and, you know, we, we'd meet with her, we'd have meetings, you know, all of us, we'd have meetings with just the social workers and her and her social, she had her own social worker through the agency also. So it wasn't just like one person playing both sides. Mm -hmm. Um, and she'd have meetings with the lawyer or she'd cancel meetings with the lawyer or not show up to meetings with the lawyer to get the paperwork going. And it took over, we had, you know, in Colorado, they had to wait a year before they could term, you know, apply to terminate her rights because nothing was moving. She didn't want to sign the relinquishment forms, but she didn't want him back. And so we were kind of stuck in this foster phase of things. and. And a lot of people, when, you, when when we tell our story to people, they're like, oh, you did foster care. And I'm like, you would think, but it wasn't really foster <laughs> care. But that's where we were stuck. We were stuck in that phase, which would be considered foster care, mm -hmm. um, which made things really hard for us because we didn't know what was going to happen here. We had this beautiful little baby boy with us that we were getting therapy for. We were getting doctor's appointments rolling for. We were getting medical things figured out and trying to bond with him. But there was a part of us that held back a little bit because we didn't know what was going to happen um, until up until that relinquishment was finally done in court by a judge. And um, so that's where things got a little sticky. So I just find it really interesting that she didn't want him back, but yet she didn't want to relinquish him. Why do you think that was do you think she was like maybe holding out hope or something or like what do you what do you think her mindset was for that i think some of it had to do with that guilt again mm -hmm. you know not, never coming to terms with his diagnosis and feeling guilty for his down syndrome mm -hmm. you know i think she felt it was something that she caused even though mm -hmm. it's not like we know that and i think some of it was that and i think you know her background they're hispanic and i think adoption is a very touchy subject subject in the hispanic world and mm, okay um being able to find that balance of what she needed to do for her and her family versus mm -hmm. what was acceptable within the hispanic community i think mm -hmm. um and there was also some man manipulation on things going on so there was a lot i think that fed into the whole process Wow. And that has to be like so hard for you and your husband as well, because here you're wanting this baby, but you're at the same time, not sure if you're ever going to get to actually, you know, officially be his parents. Mm -hmm. And so how long was that whole process before she finally relinquished her rights? So in Colorado, they had to, the agency had to wait a year to before they can apply to the courts to terminate her rights based off of she was they weren't supporting him you know we were the sole supporters for him um and even though we were still having contact again there was no monetary support going towards him right um 
and we had a court date set in January, no, no, in November, because it was right before Thanksgiving when we went down for the first, first court date. And we had our own lawyer. She, some, I don't, she ended up getting her own lawyer. The agency had their lawyers. It was a big, yeah. a big commotion down there. Um, and I just remember sitting there because we weren't allowed in the courtroom because at that point it was a hearing. And so we were going to be called in to testify, mm-hmm. my husband and I, and we had found a babysitter for Caleb. We didn't want, you know, to bring him down into all of that. Mm-hmm. And because it was going to be a very emotional day all the way around. And I just remember sitting there waiting and our caseworker was sitting there waiting because she was also going to be testifying. And all of a sudden everybody just started coming out and we were like, what's going on? Yeah. Um, and so our lawyer came out and the agency's lawyer came out and said, you know, in there, she said that she would relinquish her own right. She didn't want it to be terminated. And so the court, the judge has another court date for them to come in and relinquish their rights again, which can be very different because again, one's on state terms, one is on parental terms. Right. Um, which are both of our, our agency and all of the lawyers had never seen happen before. Usually the judge would do it within the same you know, meeting that everybody's already there. Um, but it was a newer judge or magistrate. And so she scheduled another date for them to come back, which was something we weren't at. Our lawyer ended up going down, to, you know, to see what happened, but we mm-hmm. didn't go down for that court date. Um, and, and, you know, and that at that point, and that was in January, that second court date. And so January was when the judge finally signed off on the parental relinquishment of their rights. Wow. And legally, does it differ relinquishment as opposed to termination of rights? Or is it um, just more for her mindset? Well, I guess? In, in terminology, you know, when terminating, it's somebody's going in to take away their rights, where in relinquishment, they're voluntarily giving up their rights. Yeah. So I feel like I don't know if it's really much, it doesn't really say on any of the paperwork the difference. Mm-hmm. But when people hear the two different terminologies, you know, one is, you know, one is usually more used in foster care, you know, foster care, if they have to go in and terminate the parental rights versus the parents relinquishing, giving up their Mm. rights. Yeah. It just sounds like the parent is a little bit more involved as opposed to terminating the rights. And so during this whole time, like, gosh, it's almost like well, I guess six months or so since you at first heard about Caleb, like what kind of contact were you having with the birth mom and the family? Like, were you seeing her at all? Was she seeing Caleb? Anything of that going on? So at first we were having weekly visits, um, which were very overwhelming at times, um, mm-hmm. partly because it was weekly and either we were driving down to the Springs or they were driving up to where we're at, um, which is a good hour and a half drive Mm. either way um and then there was an emotional aspect to it you know again mom was still very much in that stuck in that phase of being able to come to terms with the down syndrome and so it was very emotionally draining for the you know the hour visit that we would have with the family we would try to focus on the kids and the kids playing with Caleb and and everything like around that end of things um, but when I talked about going back for a second, when we talked about the court dates and everything, we brought him home in 2016. We didn't, the relinquishment and finalization didn't happen until 2018. Holy. So like a year and a half later. 
Mm -hmm. Because again, the agency had to wait a year before they could try to terminate the rights. Wow. And so, and then we finalized in June. So it was when court, you know, the closest court date that they had available. That must've been incredibly stressful, like just leading up to that and wondering, cause at any time, could she have chosen to take him back? Yep. At any time she could have chosen to say, I changed my mind and take him back up until the judge signing off that paper of relinquishment. So up until that wow. January of 2018, she could have changed her mind at any point. Wow. I can't imagine how stressful that would be because he's like two at this point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you guys are a little family and, you know, you're his mom and dad, like that's who he knows. So yeah, I can't imagine that would be so incredibly stressful. But thankfully, she did relinquish her rights. And I, mm -hmm. I understand, you know, giving up a child, I think has got to be one of the most difficult things for a mom to do and, mm -hmm. and a dad, but you know, I think it's more the mom. And that she finally came to terms with that she you know, couldn't or didn't feel that she could give him the best life that she could, that he deserved, you know, and that he, you know, that they just couldn't do it. And I, I don't think there's any shame in, in admitting that because I mean, the journey can be hard, you know, and, you know, I, I think not everyone's equipped to, to be on this journey. So, you know, and she already had two other children, you know, and no, and, realizing I, we don't know if we can meet his needs. So yeah, that's, that's really hard, but wow. What a stressful time for you both to go, to go through that. So, so it's been a few years now. So like four years, like, do you still mm -hmm. have any contact with the family? Like you said, it's an open adoption, which means that there can always be contact, correct? Correct. Yeah. And so, so we still, we still send like monthly emails with pictures mm -hmm. and how he's doing. And, and sometimes there's huge gains that we get to celebrate in those emails. And sometimes it's just like, well, life's kind of the same, but you know, we make sure we're sending over lots of pictures of how he's doing. Um, and we usually try to do visits twice a year. Mm -hmm. COVID has thrown things off a little bit on that. And so we did some virtual visits and um, I think we're going to try to get back to doing a summer visit this year. Mm -hmm. um because even though no matter how hectic all of that was and again like you said I can't imagine how hard it was on her I want to make sure that we're keeping that relationship going for the kids because he do he does have two older siblings and even mm -hmm. though they're not in his daily life I want him knowing them growing up mm -hmm. I think that's wonderful yeah it's it's so challenging and you know kudos to you for like still being wanting to be open with the the birth family because i think i don't know for me i think that would be so hard but but i totally understand your reasonings for it like he's got these older siblings and you want him to know them and also for his older siblings to know him as well mm -hmm. and to understand down syndrome and what down syndrome is because i think for kids it's so much easier to accept than i think like than obviously their their mother uh so hopefully they've been able to accept it much more readily than her. So do you have any other plans to adopt or maybe foster or give Caleb a sibling? What's, what's your plan? <laughs> <laughs> um, we, 
I mean, we tote along the lines all the time of a lot of things. Caleb said definitely keeps us busy, mm -hmm. you know, this present time. And um, we definitely still want to do foster care. And we've been through some foster care classes a couple years ago. And we ultimately decided just to wait a little bit longer until he was a little older, a little bit more under, we could understand a little bit more of the situations that might be coming into the house. And, um, and also just so a little bit more that he could protect himself, you know, mm -hmm. for whatever might come into our home. And, um, but we definitely do want to foster. We do want to still continue to grow our family. So we just kind of keep things open of what's going to happen next. And like, would you, do you think you would adopt again, like go the route that you went with Caleb or? Um, we have talked about adopting privately again. We've also talked about some international adoption. Mm -hmm. Um, we were very open to wanting to try the Philippines, um, partly because my husband is half Filipino. And so it kind of keeps within some of our, our backgrounds. Mm -hmm. um, and so again, I think as Caleb gets a little older, we, you know, we look a little bit more into that as than we did in the past. And so would you have to go through the whole home study again, or does that stay in like, can that still be good for a certain length of time? We would still have to go through the whole process again. Um, usually a home, home study is valid for a year, even with mm -hmm. your agency. And normally within an agency, they just do updates because, you know, if you haven't adopted and you're still waiting, they can just keep updating things. So obviously in the last couple of years, a lot has changed in our lives and mm -hmm. jobs and having Caleb. So we would have, and it would probably be a different agency at this point. And so we would have to go through that whole process again. Oh, okay. And so on the day that the judge finally signed off and she relinquished her rights, how did that feel for you? There was a lot of closure. Mm -hmm. um, I feel, you know, and I feel like that release that, you know, we had been holding this little bit of, I don't want to say not trying to bond with him, but we had, we were trying to protect our hearts also. Mm -hmm. And so having that relinquishment signed off and then having that finalization that, you know, we are his parents, it's that mm -hmm. kind of weight off your shoulders, knowing that this is done, this is permanent, he's not going anywhere now. Um, and it was just a day of joy. We actually ended up meeting with the birth family. I don't think, I don't think they knew that we were down there to finalize the adoption, but we were down in the area. And so we had scheduled a visit after the court time with them and so we went to a nearby park and got to see everybody and so it was just kind of this closure all around mm -hmm. so do you consider that your gotcha day because I hear that all the time in the adoption world like the day that you get your child is your gotcha day but yours is a little bit different so I'm wondering if you consider that you have a gotcha day I'm not sure I feel like I I sometimes celebrate both. I felt mm -hmm. I get to celebrate the day we got to bring him home because that again, you know, was a very special day. Of you know? course. But then also that day of having, again, all that weight taken off is, is definitely a day to celebrate. Mm -hmm. um, and so some years, I think we celebrate both. Some years we get really busy and we get to celebrate one of them. Mm -hmm. um, but it's definitely, I don't know if we necessarily ever have, you know, used the term gotcha day because- yeah. <laughs> I feel like we got him on one day, but then finalize that finalization being a different day was just a completely different thing. Yeah. Yeah. I can totally appreciate that. Wow. That's like kudos to you and your husband. I mean, that's 
so stressful, like to go through that long a time waiting to see if your son is going to officially be your son and just waiting and wondering if the birth mom's going to change her mind. I mean, I can't imagine how stressful that would be, you know, here you're just wanting to give all the love that you have for this child, but you're not sure if that's going to happen. Like that's a lot to take on and, you know, to prepare yourself for, because there is a chance your, your heart could be broken, which Mm -hmm. would be so devastating. I mean, you read about it all the time. Parents are kind of similar. Like they've, they've been told they have a child and then something happens and they don't get it. So I'm, I'm sure that's so heartbreaking. So good for you guys for holding out for that (laughs) length of time. That's incredible. So do you have like any advice to others who are looking to go to the adoption route or, you know, considering maybe even adopting a child with Down syndrome? I think one of our biggest things was our agency. Um, I still send pictures to our caseworker to this day. Um, Mm -hmm. She definitely became like family. And I think part of that was really researching and interviewing and getting to know the agency and some of their workers beforehand. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you get, you know, in our case, we worked with them for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, And you build those relationships. So if you don't, if there's something in the beginning that you don't feel feels right or trusting, you know, find an agency that you feel all those good things with because they're going to be working with you closely for a long time. Um, Regardless of, you know, depending on how long you wait before you get a placement versus when you bring a child home. So. Yeah, that's true. I I guess I hadn't actually ever thought about that because it could take a long time and you are working with those people for a long time. So yeah, that's, that's great advice. Amanda, thank you so much for sharing your beautiful story on how you became Caleb's mama and that, you know, not giving up on your dream of becoming a mama. Well, thank you very much for having me on. You're very welcome. So as I said at the beginning, Amanda has a very interesting story, particularly around dealing with the birth mother. Yes, because you, I, I mean, from what I know about people who adopt, you don't usually have a lot of connection with the birth mother or even the family. But I love that, you know, her son has siblings and she wants him to also know his siblings and for his siblings to know him and to understand what Down syndrome is. Yeah, and that's and that's great. And I'm, you know, I'm kudos to her for being able to manage that because there is a lot of managed, like, emotional and um, emotional and time management that goes into that kind of uh, relationship. Yeah, and I think it's also, I think for me, it would be kind of emotional having to deal with that and then also dealing with perhaps a mom's kind of heartache over her decision to give up her son because, you know, she had a lot of guilt over his diagnosis, which it was of no fault of her own. Right, right. Okay, well, that was good. Thank you, Amanda, for telling your story. Mm-hmm. And uh, next time around, we're still working on next time around. Yes, we are. All right, so let's just take us on out of this one. Thanks for listening to the T21 Mom podcast. And as always, I would love to hear your stories. What's going on in your life? What's important to you? Let me know.
you can reach me at info at t21mom.com or you can also find me on Facebook. I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at trisomy21mama. Keep on loving on your rocking kiddos and we will see you next time. See you, Mary. Bye, Ron. Bye.